Mm. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Welcome. Okay. Uh, oh, by the way, do you know what meditation we're doing? Have we given it a name yet? <laughs> Have we given it a name? I'm not sure if, I, if we did. Uh, well, sooner or later we'll, co- we'll come up with a name. <laughs> Uh, so, this kind of meditation <laughs> uh, is not merely achieving a state of mind where there's, uh, your mind is undistracted, or your mind is uh, clear, and then even there are some uh, various uh, degrees of... Uh, of uh, Joy, bliss. Uh, what's that? What's that? Uh, a very cute word for that. That's 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 something. Uh, ecstasy. <laughs> okay, some various degrees of ecstasy. So all that is wonderful. Okay, I'm sure able to achieve a state of mind completely undistracted. Not only completely undistracted, but completely undistractable. Okay. And it's, it's clear, you experience a very uh, good clarity of the mind, and then all this is experienced within a wonderful state of ecstasy. That is not Maha... Well, there's the name of it. That is not Maha Mudra. I told you it would come. <laughs> that is not Maha Mudra meditation. Maha Mudra, this is, you could say, uh, a very fundamental uh, uh, mm a very fundamental state of mind to help you eventually with Mahamudra. Okay. Now, you would like to achieve this state of mind, uh, preferably, if you're already able to achieve this state of mind, then your mind is already ready to just uh, con- go from just looking at, looking for the conventional nature of mind and then lo- looking at the conventional nature of mind to look for the ultimate nature of mind. Okay. But you can also get to that state of clarity, state of uh, ecstasy, the state of, uh, of undistracted, undistractedness, undistractability, undistract, not being able to be distracted. <laughs> you can get to that state by looking for the conventional nature of mind and then having found the conventional nature of mind and then resting, uh, what's that word I use? Uh, resting in, uh, in the finding or stabilizing your meditation on that. Okay. You can use that as a road to, to, uh, to achieve simultaneously looking at the conventional nature of mind and achieving that, that, uh, that uh, clear, peaceful, undistracted, uh, ecstatic state of mind. Okay. But if, all you, if, if you're within that state of mind, and there is no understanding going on, either an understanding of the conventional nature of mind, and the, and the understanding doesn't necessarily have to happen where, or where you're verbalizing in your mind, I understand, this is the mind that is described as da 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 It, does, it there doesn't have to be this kind of uh, thing going on in your mind. But if, doesn't mean that if, if it's happening at all, then there's something wrong with your mind. It could be a way of, le- 
verbalizing this in your mind could be a way of, uh, of getting you to, to, to that state. But once you finally get to that state, you want to achieve two kinds of non-conceptual absorptions. The first non-conceptual absorption is a non-conceptual absorption looking at the conventional nature of mind. Okay. Non-conceptual means uh, you, you're not... Uh, you're not looking at it at the same time, looking at what you think is the idea of it at the same time. Okay? And usually those two things are sort of like, uh, they, they fight with each other. And then this may cause, and, and that's what may cause your meditation, your absorption uh, to be in danger of, of, uh, of uh, breaking apart. Because those two things are fighting with each other and they're sort of fighting for attention. And then, in the beginning, it's kind of sort of difficult for your mind to make the distinction between looking at the object and then your, I and your idea of the object. Okay. Uh, and it's, it's kind of a subtle, uh, kind of a subtle battle that, that, that goes on. Okay. If the way to know that it's a non-conceptual is that you... Uh, do you feel yourself looking at, looking at it, rather than just being in the experience of, of the perception itself? Okay. That's how you know if it is conceptual or non-conceptual. The non-conceptual, the other way, the, the nice way of uh, describing non-conceptual is, um, for that, uh, the nice way just left in my mind. <laughs> Uh, what was that? No, no, I'm saying Mercury and Metro K, right? <laughs> totally, I've been like flipping my words. Uh, maybe that's the reason. That's been on Mercury. <laughs> <laughs> Our time of producing that. <laughs> uh, well, nice word, whatever it was, left in my mind. Uh, well, I think first achieved that, <laughs> sorry, I have to use the word conceptual. It's the first level of conceptual, non-conceptual uh, uh, absorption and just the, n the conventional nature of the mind then you use that very state itself to get to the ultimate, to get to the, uh, to get to the next uh, level of, of absorption, which would be an absorption with, with a non-conceptual non nature, uh, non-conceptual absorption into the ultimate nature of mind. Okay. These two, the initial non-conceptual absorption into just the conventional nature of the mind, my God, <laughs> I'm almost confusing myself now. Okay, am I following? Okay, <laughs> are you able to follow? Uh, that the the first experience can be so uh, elevating, can be so profound that you might believe that you're actually doing the the next the next state, which is uh, an absorption, which is non-conceptual on the ultimate nature of mind. As far as what appears to the mind. It's very similar. It's very similar as to what appears to the mind. 
in terms of uh, what you might call uh, uh, the um, the vivid the vivid perception, okay, as to what is appearing to the what you might call the mind's eye, it's the same thing. But what's different is the understanding. That's why it is said that if 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 there isn't a sense of understanding accompanying whatever beautiful thing is going on, it's not it cannot be called Mahamudra. Okay. And and the reason for that is because Mahamudra is a, a very, 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 very yeah, I mean did I say that's it enough. Okay. It's a very holy state of uh, it's a very holy meditation. It doesn't sound good. <laughs> it's a very profound meditation that can actually lead if you could just take this the the Okay, the road of Mahamudra alone, it can lead to Buddhahood. Okay, so that's a very profound meditation. Okay, now of course uh, there is a there is a there is a point in Mahamudra meditation where you're sort of seeking a, a very subtle form of non-duality, where the non-duality that you're seeking is a non-duality of of uh, Appearance and non-appearance, the non-duality of, of, uh, of I don't want to say it, but I'm forced to say it, samsara and nirvana. Okay, <laughs> okay, a, a, a sense of non-duality between those two because it will take it will, it will take a long time for us that for that to have any true meaning. The non-duality of nirvana and samsara. First of all, I'm using Sanskrit words. There are no English words, appropriate English words for them. Nirvana and Samsara. Okay, I'm saying it again. <laughs> so there, there's, there's a, 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 there will be an endeavor for you to seek that kind of non-duality. Uh, and the the road that will lead to that eventual ripening is to see how. Uh, okay, here's the English word: interdependence and ultimate reality uh, uh, can occur simultaneously. That is within the same mind of perception, interdependence and ultimate reality are, are simultaneously perceived. Okay. Now, what will help you, you know, I'm talking about specifically you here in this class. Okay, no? <laughs> is the meditation that we were doing on how we were do meditating on interdependence. If you can do that, if you can hold on to interdependence while you're simultaneously or even uh, uh, where it naturally leads to a sense of a, a, a genuine appreciation of love, okay, then you, you won't need to do a, an, uh, uh, necessarily an extra meditation on bodhicitta for this meditation to eventually lead to Buddhahood. Okay. Uh, so does that... Uh, did I lose myself? Did I lose you? Okay. I'm lost. You're lost? <laughs> okay. When you say interdependence, you mean interdependence of everything or a specific... Interdependence of general interdependence or specific interdependence. That almost sounds like a physics term. General interdependence and specific. Well, 
Yeah, it doesn't matter. Whatever is interdependent. Okay. So you somehow can see how that is actually a. Uh, I'm going to use a very poetic term. That's that's a, a that's love at play. Okay. If you can somehow see that's what interdependence is, then automatically that will sort of bring you into a a very. Uh, uh, it will bring you to the experience of bodhicitta. Okay. So. So this sort of uh, this game that you will you, you need to play back and forth, back and forth, so that eventually, in one state of mind, uh, uh, interdependence and ultimate reality sort of happens simultaneously. This is what is going to eventually lead to that ultimate non-dual state of uh, non-dual state, non that absorption. That non-dual absorption into where the non-duality is between uh, samsara and nirvana. Yeah, I'm saying that because <laughs> I mean that may have much meaning to you, but I mean it's stupendous. <laughs> okay. Uh, so either while looking for and finding the con what is called the conventional nature of mind, you achieve that very elated, very uh, subdued state of mind, then you stabilize that, that is you're able to stabilize it, you're able to get into it whenever you, you want to. Okay. Then after you've done that, then you begin to now look for the, what is the ultimate nature of this conventional mind. Okay. Then you go through the same pro you go through a similar process, and then you will achieve a non-dual absorption. By the way, this thing called non-dual absorption into the ultimate nature of mind—that's what is called being becoming an, an Arya. That's what is called seeing the ultimate nature of reality directly. That's when you're no longer a child. That's when you are. Uh, 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 entered adulthood as far as spirituality is concerned. Okay. And then continually to introduce the mind, continually making the mind get reacquainted with this experience over and over and over again, then that will lead eventually to Buddhahood. Okay. So that's why this meditation is, you know, uh, even though it appears to be easy, it's not to be taken. Uh, too lightly, you know, because when we take a son, uh, that will that itself will uh, bring an obstacle to uh, uh, succeeding in this meditation. Yes. So, um, we were looking, we are looking for the ultimate nature or ultimate reality of the object, and you're saying the object should be the mind. Yes. So the mind, in sense of like. Um, what the mind is perceiving, like should you be conjuring like a visual image, oh, no. or should you just be like the mind itself? The mind itself. Time? Okay, so then does that, like I'm trying to figure it out. Like, What's the mind know. look like? <laughs> <laughs> no, like, so, so is it like the thoughts that going through your mind? Is it the things that, are, is, that appear in front of your vision? Is it, what, what should you be trying to perceive? As well, those thoughts and those visions will be pointing to the mind. They are not the mind themselves. Right. Okay. As the uh, one of the one of the uh, exercises that you do 
in Mahamudra meditation, when you're looking for the conventional nature of mind, you're asked to not create anything. Don't fabricate. Don't try to, don't try to mix something up. Just let the mind be. And then, of course, when you're letting the mind be, in the beginning, there's a lot of thoughts going on, a lot of visions, the memories, all the different functions of the mind are active. And your role is to simply look, why, why are you calling this image a thought? And you're calling this memory a thought? Why are you calling this emotion? Why, what is it about all these things that make them all of them, you, you can say that they're all mind, that they're all mental, the emotions, the, the memories, the, the perceptions. What makes them all mental? So there is some quality that they all share that right now we are, this recognition is happening at an unconscious level. So you want to bring this, this recognition at the surface, at the surface of your awareness. So you can say, oh, so that's what it is. And it is described as, and the reason I don't like to, to uh, in the beginning, sort of give you what you're going to end up with because you end up creating it in the beginning and thinking that you have it. So, it is said <laughs> that when you just look at <laughs> that's what they call mere clarity and awareness. Okay, so that's the quality that all these things have that they share in common. And then it, it will appear to you as an object of observation. This mere clarity, this mere knowing. And you, you, you're observing it, you're looking at it, the same way you're looking at a thought. Okay. And the, 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 uh, the beautiful thing about it with Mahamudra is that you can have a thought, but it's not the thought itself that is the object of your observation, but what, what is making the thought. So the thought becomes second nature, or secondary. Can I, can I ask another? Um, yes, you can. <laughs> so, um, so it's like the, you're trying to find almost like the common thread between all the mental functions. Yes. What you're saying. Yes. Not in how they are. Is it how they arise? Like what allows them to arise, or the actual mental, or something that connects them all? Something that connects them all. Okay. Now, how they arise, what causes them, out of what they arise, that, that's another meditation. Okay. Okay. So, so don't do too many meditations in one meditation. I think that's what they call distraction. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just curious that you, you brought up the, the topic of, of love and mm. compassion. Mm -hmm. And yet, when we achieve the um, non-conceptual, the non-dual perception of this conceptual mind, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's an object, and it's some type of clarity, luminosity, or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's an object. At that moment, when we first achieve it, it's not an object made of love or anything else, right? And also, we don't want to start to try to bring, oh, we bring love into this, right? Because that would also be bringing an extraneous object in. Yeah. And so what I'm, I'm trying to understand how the love gets in involved. And mm -hmm. the only thing I can think of is as we continue to observe this object, and as we drill down deeper, and, and the object begins to kind of un unravel, unwind, mm -hmm. unravel, mm -hmm. that there's something about the process of that object unraveling that might might remind us of love in a spontaneous way, rather than, oh, I want to see the love in that. Or are we trying to see the love in that? <laughs> Mm. And I know how you interpret love, and maybe you might want to explain that too for, for those who haven't heard. But okay. <laughs> um, 
a specific term. Mm-hmm. I was following you and I was agreeing with everything uh, until you made that last conclusion. <laughs> uh, well, as, as we continue to break this down, right, yeah. drill down, mm-hmm. then there's something about the unfolding of mind or the, mm-hmm. the process of yeah. how mind arises that might evoke mm-hmm. love, re- remind us yeah. of uh, love. In, in the very unraveling, you are directly perceiving what is, uh, what is philosophically termed the interdependent right. factors that give rise to this thing, this object that we're calling clarity, luminosity, which gives rise to the right. various thoughts and, and, and emotions, right. all the mental things. And this very perception of the interdependent factors, and if you sort of understand that, ah, these in these uh, factors sort of give up give up their identity so that the identity of clarity luminosity can can exist that's what I'm calling love the 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 for big words not even with big words the what Propensity? That's too philosophical. <laughs> uh, okay, we'll use that. <laughs> the propensity of all these different objects, uh, that when you look at them uh, separately, they have their own sort of I- separate identity. And yet, because of the very nature, because of their very nature of not being sort of like a, uh, selfishly holding on to their identity, because they, they have the, the propensity to let go of that identity that allows them to be able to give rise by, through, there was no term I use, cooperation, cooperation? Yeah. through cooperation that these different, these perceptually different entities can become a completely new identity. Okay. And when we, I'm using identity, uh, I'm not talking about, you know, today I'm John, next day I'm, uh, I'm Mary, or anything like that. I'm talking about whatever it is that is appearing, and you're able to immediately identify it as whatever. So all those things that came together, for you to say whatever, rather than those things, A, B, C, B, C, D, come together. Okay, we don't say, when we look at a person, we don't say, we don't say, oh, that's too many things. <laughs> Five minutes. Five lens, five, uh, two eyes, one nose. By the time you finish saying all these things, then the person will, will be gone, okay? But it's all those things coming together, completely selflessly letting go of their personal identity. You can say, oh, person. I'm calling that love, okay? That's what I'm calling love. Because they are sacrificing I'm, I'm being a bit more poetic here. <laughs> they're sacrificing their identity. They're sac- sacrificing their selfhood so that another self can emerge that we can call person, that we can call Mary, John, okay? And, and the breaking, and then that, that identity that, is, that, that has, uh, or, uh, that now arises in, in our meditation, and the Mahamudra is the mind itself. And then when we see 
that no matter what thoughts come through your mind, no matter what mental thing comes through your mind, we see that, that what did you say? Thread thing? Yeah. Thread. You see something else? Another qualifier with thread. Common thread. Common thread. When we see that common thread, then we are, and we're just able to just focus on that common thread. Luminosity, clarity, awareness, okay? And then we are able to now see that even this thing is itself a byproduct of different things having completely relinquished their selfhood so that you can say, oh, here's this entity that we're calling with these three, with these qualities, uh, luminosity, clarity, awareness, and whatever else you want to throw in there. Okay. And when you are, a, when you see that, ah, it is uh, display of in, it is interdependence that is allowing this to happen. Then you, you're uh, sort of now on the on the on the verge of seeing uh, those two happening at the same time the lack, the, the ultimate nature of the mind and then the conventional nature of the mind. The conventional nature is seeing, is having the appearance. And then the ultimate nature is understanding the true nature of this appearance. Okay. And when you, when, when you, when you focus on the interdependence as being a play of love, <laughs> So it helps the mind to stay focused on the on, on the on the on the uh, on the experiences of bodhicitta, okay? Because this Mahamudra, even though it is it is, mm, I'm trying to say there is something. Well, Mahamudra itself, as a the named the Thaidis meditation called Mahamudra, it is something found within the Mahayana traditions. If you just, without, without any sense of, of, of love of bodhicitta, not any sense of love, without any sense of bodhicitta infusing this uh, meditation, it can eventually lead to personal liberation, which is not the goal of the, of the, of Mahayana, of, of the Mahayana, Mahayana uh, tradition. What is it? Practitioner. Practitioner, yeah. Okay. So you have to find somehow a way of infusing this with Bodhicitta. So in the beginning, you begin with Bodhicitta. Bodhicitta is the fuel for the meditation. And then eventually, you want Bodhicitta to, when, when your mind eventually is in that non-dual absorption on the ultimate nature of reality of the mind, you want that also to be infused with Bodhicitta. If, it's not a few, if that is not infused with Bodhicitta, then it becomes... And do you know why you have to, you have to de- deliberately infuse this with the Bodhicitta? You have to deliberately infuse this with bodhicitta. If you don't deliberately infuse this with bodhicitta, it can carry you away into a personal liberation. Right? Then carry you, drag you into, you know, with you know, whip, <laughs> whips you with, you know, uh, instead of feeling pain, you feel like extreme ecstasy. Okay, <laughs> and you can't just, you can't bear oh my God, the ecstasy, and you just find yourself woo, going into. Well, and, uh, well. <laughs> whatever direction, and you find yourself in your own personal nirvana. Okay, and that's it. You are out of touch with uh, with with, uh, with the world. With se- you are disconnected with sentient being. All your the only thing you're aware of is your own personal bliss. 
Okay. And even if such a thing was possible, someone would call it, oh, you're in the samsara? <laughs> and you say, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> I don't see any samsara. <laughs> <laughs> Could you, the, 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 the being, being in personal liberation, like, um, would it be a natural progression for them to get the total enlightenment? A natural progression? Yeah. No, it, it cannot be a natural progression. So when the Mahayana says that they're going to bring everybody to total enlightenment, how would they bring the people that... Because it's not, it's not a natural progression. Okay, so they actually have to go in like... They have to go and you know, <laughs> kick them and say, hey, okay. wake up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, so, yeah. how do you keep this interplay of love? How do you um, keep that in mind off the mat when you're not meditating? Like, what's the best way, like, in my daily life? Oh, yeah, definitely in your daily life when you when you are experiencing your own personal troubles, immediately think of someone else who is experiencing the same thing. Don't just stay focused on your own trouble. I mean, really know it for what it is. Have a true appreciation of it. And then from that, think of someone else who might be in the same predicament. And then that will naturally bring a sense of love. And if you can not just have a sense of love, but also make it a sense of taking personal responsibility. I have to do something for that. Yeah. So even if like you know in your mind there's probably, you know, countless people suffering from the same thing and suffering from like the moment, but you can't think of a specific person that you know. So in a sense you're just imagining it. Like, well there's probably a lot of people so just do that. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. If you can think of if you can think of specific examples of people you know who are going through the specific uh, situation, then you can think of them. But if you can imagine it, whoever, you can just say, whoever is going through this. Okay. Alright? Any more questions? Questions? Ah, kind of lively. <laughs> Alright. So if you're one of those lucky few, who can achieve a non-distracted state of mind. Now, what you have to infuse that with an understanding, either of the conventional nature of mind. That is, it's not that understanding like, oh, the conventional nature of mind is the kind of mind that, it's not like, it's not that, but it appears to you. Okay. All right. And if you're those, I don't know, extremely lucky ones, <laughs> Who's about to become an Arya in this oh, next few minutes <laughs> and honoring us to be witness? <laughs> well, I guess I don't have to tell you anything. You already know what to do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So try to have, <coughs> again, quickly, a sense of reverence of the space, the space of your mind, the physical space where your body is occupying. And quickly bring clearly as possible 
you're going to do, why you're going to do it, and try to consciously induce that sense of tranquility you experienced earlier, just by vividly recalling it. on what is the remover of your obstacles, the antidote, the states, the revealer or awakener of those states of mind that you need to succeed. And bring that to a strong degree of conviction and whenever you're ready and bring that presence into your heart center and then just take it from there just letting your mind do what it does and then looking for that common thread to absorb your mind into
look at this tranquil state, whatever degree of tranquility you find in your mind, not the mind with the tranquil state, but just the tranquil state itself. Be aware, bring to mind how it is absent of delusion, how it is absent of striving to get anything. It's not trying to harm to get anything. It's not attached to something to get something. And what is the quality of it being absent of those things? It has a contentment somewhat that striving to harm is seeking. It has the contentment that attached, being attached to something is seeking. Again, bring to mind consciously those people, those persons, those places that you have a true concern about. And let this very tranquility infuse those places, infuse those minds of those people, so that they can have some direct experience of a mind absent of striving. So they can clearly, directly experience Ah, there's no need to strive to harm, to get to truth, to contentment. So it becomes a strong conviction within them. carrying out this tranquility. You can visualize it as light leaving you, leaving your heart, going to all those places, all those people, infusing them with this very tranquility. dedicate the merit of this meditation. get up and continue your rest of your day, the night, 
make sure you take your resolve with you. Holding on to your resolve, bring your attention back to the breath. And through the awareness of the breath, slowly become aware of the body again. The body sitting in this cushion, body of flesh and blood. Attention as you get up from your seat. You will not leave your resolve on the seat. You will take it with you. Okay. As I say in the train station, take your personal belongings with you. Okay. <laughs> 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 <All right. laughs>